everybody. Welcome to Hebsey on Sports. I'm your host, Mark Hebsher. We're sponsored by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington, Ontario. It's just 45 minutes from downtown Toronto, but without the Toronto prices. A beautiful setting, fabulous customer service, great food and banquet facilities, and one of the best golf courses you'll ever play. Go to crosswindsgolf.com. Tell them Hebsey sent you. You might get escorted out by security, but probably not. They'll give you a thumbs up. Today on the show, a Major League Baseball player sends out racist and homophobic tweets seven years ago. They find out about it, he apologizes, and then gets a standing ovation from the hometown fans in Milwaukee. What will the reaction be like on the road? And how will Toronto fans handle the return of alleged wife-beater Roberto Osuna? Did you watch any of the British Open to see how Tiger Woods was doing? I admit, I was mesmerized. He almost won it. And in untiger-like fashion, he blew it. He choked. Is it okay to say that? Does anybody really care about the Canadian Football League other than a few thousand diehards? Apparently not, although there was a big trade yesterday involving a guy who hasn't even played a down in the CFL. Did you know that the Toronto Maple Leafs once had two number one overall draft picks on their team back in the 1980s, and they once had three number one overall picks skating together in the early 2000s. You know who those guys were? First overall draft picks in the NHL for for 100, Alex. And my conversation with Gord Sinclair of the Tragically Hip, a lifelong Toronto Maple Leafs fans who tells some sports-related stories from the road. I'm happy to report that Jan Jervis Solarte has taken my advice. If you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that I've been on his case for not hustling. That's the only reason. I'm sure he's the nicest guy in the world, and he's a pretty good ball player. But when he's not hustling, I can't stand to watch him. He leads the major leagues, having hit into 20 double plays this year, many of which he could have avoided by busting his butt down the line. But when you hit the game-winning home run in the eighth inning to help sweep the hapless Baltimore Orioles, you get a gold star from me. If ever there was a time to trade Solarte, now is the time. See, he's hot. Get a guy when he's hot. He's much more desirable for another team. Buy low, sell high. Right. Toronto Mike there on the other side. (laughs) A Blue Jay fan as well. And Solarte, if ever his trade value was at its highest, now is the time. Maybe you can make a deal for this guy because he's not part of the future. And while we're at it, let's say goodbye to Jay Happ, who struck out nine over five innings of work yesterday, and then was replaced in the sixth by Joe Biagini. And I'm disappointed at manager John Gibbons that he didn't send Hap out there to start the sixth in a 1-1 tie, if for no other reason than to give the Toronto fans a chance to say goodbye to Jay Hap. Even if you pulled Hap after one batter in the sixth, it would have been a nice gesture. Sometimes it's good to let the fans have their say or get their emotional feelings out about a guy. But when he just doesn't come out for the sixth, you know, what do you do? You go, oh, it's Biagini. Oh, hey, Jay. Jay, come out for a curtain call. They don't do it that way. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't come out and say, thanks very much. If you thought that he wasn't going to come out for the sixth as he came off the field at the end of five innings and he got a, like a nice little ovation from some people saying, oh, he's at a hundred and some odd pitches. But still, you know, come on. Well, he's not Joey Bats. I mean, I'm with you. It would be a nice gesture. But I mean, he's a, he was a great pitcher, but he wasn't at the level of like a Joey Bats. No doubt. You know? No doubt about it. But Joey, I mean, and again, the Joey Bats thing was l- the last time he played for the Jays in his final at-bat for the Jays in a Jays uniform. Do you remember how that went? I don't. I don't, pe- I don't remember people going, that was it. He flied out to right field. <laughs> his last at-bat ever is a Jay. I don't recall it. But I certainly recall when he came back. Were you at the Dome? 
I bet you everybody at the Dome will remember forever I, that moment. The what, rest of us have forgotten. His, his, yeah, his last uh, Oh, I don't. His I, last I, I, I might have been there. I, I, <laughs> I don't even remember. I don't even remember. But anyway, so the Jays ended up winning the game. Salarte hit the uh, game-winning home run uh, in the eighth. Actually, they had two two-run homers there. It was nice. But I thought at the time, I thought, all right, they beat Baltimore. I mean, Mike, you, me, and, and, and seven of your neighbors could probably give the Orioles a good run. I think they've won 28 games this year or 29 games this year. That's awful. Over 70 losses. They're just a terrible, terrible baseball team. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, so who's part of this team? Who's, who's the future? Well, Russell Martin is not. And maybe somebody wants Russell Martin. I don't know why, but maybe they want him as a leader, as a catcher, as a 175 hitter or whatever. And maybe the Jays will eat a good portion of his contract just to, to set him free. In fact, any member of the Jays' bullpen, I think, is fodder for trade. Any guy in that bullpen. Take, take your pick. Kendris Morales? Sure. Yeah. Switch hitter. Starting to hit the ball well. Not going to be part of the future of this team. No point having him on the squad. I would keep Justin Smoke. I'd keep Randall Gritchick. I'd keep Luke Maley. I'd keep Lourdes Gurriel, who's, who's got a lot to learn, but he's got the potential. I'd keep Devin Travis, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, Ryan Barucki. And that's about it. That's really about it. Nothing you can do with Donaldson. Nothing you can do about Tulowitzki, right? Nothing you can do about Pilar at this particular point. Um, Pilar might have been trade bait, could have been trade bait for this team if he stayed healthy. And you could have gotten some maybe some good value for him. But he's going to stick around for a while. So everyone else is tradable. And I say, you know, let's look ahead to 2020 and 2021. The kids from New Hampshire will be up here. Uh, you'll have your Sean Reed Foley's and a couple of these other guys. Um, one in particular, uh, Jordan Romano, who's from Toronto. Really? Pitched really well the other guy. Eight innings, gave up no runs. Um, you know, a lot of these guys. And they're 23, 24, 25 years old, some of them. They're college kids. They played maybe three years of minor league ball. They're double A. And they're, they're not being rushed along. And that's what I like about it. I want to see these guys dominate in the minor leagues, right? Or at least be able to have a handle. And, and even as we speak, uh, Biggio's hitting like in the 260s, Cavan Biggio. Um, Bo Bichette is hitting like in the 260s, the 270s. So they've got some good numbers, but still they're playing a full season at double A baseball. And you've got to be, I think you've got to be a little bit better than a 260 hitter in double A to be considered to be a major league uh, player at you, this particular point. You'd think so. You would. Um, you know who Josh Hader is? Pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers? Oh, he's not a former cast member of Saturday Night Live. No, that's... Uh, that's Bill Hader. Bill Hader, yeah. <laughs> Josh Hader. Um, Josh Hader is a pretty good pitcher. In fact, he was an all-star for the Milwaukee Brewers. And uh, the other night, he walked through the uh, right field bullpen door, walked onto the uh, warning path, jogged onto the grass, came in as, in relief for the Milwaukee Brewers on Saturday at Miller Park, and a crowd of 36,242 cheered him wildly, gave him a thunderous standing ovation. Now, this I found to be very disturbing because during the baseball all-star break, Hader, it was revealed that he had posted racist and homophobic tweets. He was seven, it was seven years ago, so he was 17 years old at the time, but these tweets were uncovered during the all-star break, of which he was a member of the all-star team. And, and, you know, I mean, he was given basically a hero's welcome by the fans in Milwaukee. And I thought, man, if that's the type of reaction he's getting in Milwaukee from the home fans, I wonder what kind of reaction Roberto Osuna will get. Now, and, and posting racist tweets versus being charged with um, domestic violence mm -hmm. 
uh, and being suspended for 75 games by Major League Baseball. Those are two different things. Definitely two different things. But by the same token, to uh, say that all's forgiven and yeah, you you and you posted these racist and homophobic tweets. That's all well and good in Milwaukee, which is a pretty provincial is maybe not the right right word. Backwater, not quite. Um, segregated for sure. If you've been to Milwaukee before, it's a pretty segregated city. Uh, and I'm not saying that white power or anything like that, but I'm just saying that they're... It's not as diverse as our city. They're not as tolerant, right? Certainly not as diverse at all. My question is, what happens when Josh Hader goes on the road? And by the way, this later this week, uh, the Brewers are playing in San Francisco against the Giants. And as you know, San Francisco has the highest percentage of adults who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender of any city in the country. You think he's going to get that kind of reaction in San Francisco? No. Uh, they're going to have to have extra security there. Because what this guy did, even though he was 17 at the time, that's going to stick with him. I don't care how good of a baseball player you are. And Hader himself says, look, I, I, I can't change the past. And I can't change how anyone outside of Milwaukee views me. But he's going to do everything possible you know, to prove that what he did as a 17-year-old kid uh, is not the man that he is today at the age of 24. And once he made a tearful apology, I guess the fans in Milwaukee said, okay, that's good enough for us. Like, let's go get him now. Let's win a championship. I like to think that uh, you can evolve from uh, some such primitive thoughts as a 17-year-old that you could evolve, you could, you, could, you could realize the error of your ways and then work and strive to become a better person and that that is worthy of applause. I think it's very different from the Roberto Osuna situation where as an adult, you know, 23-year-old, he allegedly uh, did something to his uh, his uh, his girlfriend that is um, far less excusable. So I actually can see celebrating that this 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 he's uh, he he's sort of a, a redemptive story. Like mm -hmm. it's uh, almost I can see the applause being okay in this situation in in Milwaukee. Yeah, that, but he's not yeah, going to get it on the road. No, but that's sort of like when you know when <laughs> when Barry Bonds would be sort of like worshipped at home but on well, the No, road no, how about John Rocker? <laughs> right. John Rocker said all those uh, in Sports <laughs> Illustrated of all places of you know homophobic stuff and the 7 train in Brooklyn is all full of Fs and anyway, and then he his first appearance in Atlanta, they cheer him wildly. And then of course he's booed terribly on the road. Right. So, here's what it comes down to. August the 5th is when Roberto Osuna uh, comes off the suspended list. August the 5th is when he is eligible to play for the Toronto Blue Jays. GM uh, Ross Atkins has already said that he expects Osuna to be in the lineup, that he's going to be an integral part of the team, et cetera, et cetera. My question is, if you're at the Dome and Roberto Osuna comes to the mound in a safe situation, um, how do you react to it? Are you going to go to the games? If you know that he's going to be on that roster, Will you go to the games? Will you follow the Blue Jays? And the reason I mention this is um, there was one particular columnist in the Globe and Mail, a uh, female columnist, and I can't think of her name now. She's not a regular sports writer. But she had basically said, if he's allowed to come back, I will not only uh, cancel the rest of my um, ticket, my subscription, I'll demand my money back for tickets that I've already bought. And I thought, well, I wonder how many people are going to do that, to go to that extent, to say, I'm not going to cover it. And in fact, yesterday when I was watching the game, my wife said, oh, you're watching the Jays? How can you watch this team? I said, well, hang on a second. We don't know what's going to happen with Osuna. They might trade Osuna. He might never play for the Blue Jays again. They might 
try to trade him before the deadline, even though he's still on the suspended list. He's eligible to come back and play Major League Baseball on the 5th of August. I thought, how would I react to it? And if I was a reporter, how would I handle talking to this guy, asking him baseball-related questions, when I know deep down that he's up on charges for domestic um, violence? Should that change the way I report? And I had asked a, a number of reporters, female reporters, in fact, how they thought about it. And one in particular, her name is Lindsay Adler, uh, and she covers the Mets and the Yankees, which means she's been covering Aroldis Chapman, Jose Reyes, and up until a day ago, um, uh, Eurus Familia, the, the relief pitcher, all three of whom have been charged with domestic violence. How do you separate that, male or female? But I had asked the female, and she had, you know, had basically said, uh, wow, wait to see what happens in Toronto. I mean, what's going to happen? A terrible embarrassment. She thought it was an embarrassment for the city of Toronto and the Toronto Blue Jays organization that this Osuna situation is going to be the way it is. And I thought, I wonder how many other people think that way. And what, would you, what are you prepared to do as a fan if you are against the, the idea of him coming back and playing for the Blue Jays? So I'll ask you, what would you do if, Mike, if your wife said to you, uh, you know, I don't, like this at all and I don't think you should be supporting this team uh, a team that supports uh, a someone who has been charged with and is an alleged uh, wife beater what would you say I think it's up to everybody to make their their own choice on this one uh, so I totally respect my wife's decision if that was her decision she's not going to uh, buy a ticket or or wear the blue jay cap or go to a game and I totally support that at the same time, it's a very slippery slope. Like, are, how closely are we going to look at every member of our, our favorite teams and, and their background and their history? And, and one guy on that team who maybe was convicted of something or was uh, arrested for something else. Wait, wait, wait. Convicted it's a very of slippery... something or convicted of domestic, domestic violence? Assault, domestic well, violence. There's a difference. Right? Like, it's not like he was convicted of uh, breaking and entering. Right, but uh, or I don't... Si- Or even simple assault in a bar fight. No, to- I totally, totally, totally respect somebody's decision to, to, to not support a team that would employ... Roberto Osuna, totally, totally. But it is a it is a it is a slippery slope in the sense that uh, like some 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 alleged uh, instances will be deemed okay, some won't. And where do you draw the line? And I mean, at at some point, um, at some point, uh, somebody has to be allowed to grow as a person and be redeemed and 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 be a better person and mm-hmm. learn from their mistakes. So it's very tricky. It's very very tricky. It'll be very interesting to watch this unfold. What kind sure. of reaction do you think he'll get at Skydome when he comes into a game? I don't think he'll be applauded the way that uh Hater was applauded. I think it's a very very different situation. I think uh I don't think he'll be applauded. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I'm curious to uh to see, to be honest. I don't know. I don't think he'd be loudly booed but there'll be a smattering of boos mm. we're a pretty polite city you know what i mean <laughs> See, i think i think rather than booze i think people not showing up or people just basically but they're already saying, not showing I'm up. i'm not going right but i'm not going to follow this team maybe they're already not following the team this just gives them more of a reason to not follow the team the fact that they're not winning and the fact that they are in some people's minds they are um what word can i use facilitating they are enabling Roberto Asuna versus some who might think this is the type of rehabilitation that someone needs. They need to be forgiven. They need to be exposed as to who they are, and they need to be on the road to recovery. And I don't know. We, don't, we won't know. We may never know if that's going to be the case with Osuna. What punishment? I mean, he's already, he's already um, 
served his suspension, lost his salary. But there's more to it than that. This has never come up before, to my knowledge, in Toronto on the sports scene. Oh, in the entertainment scene, sure. I can name off a bunch of people. Okay, I don't want to right now, but you know who I'm talking about. Diddling this and all that and sexual misconduct and the Harvey Weinstein effect, all that stuff. But here we're talking about professional athletes that we idolize. We buy their jerseys. We, we hold them up to a higher standard than the average person. Higher standard, which means whether you're a 23-year-old like Roberto Osuna, whether you're an older player like a Jose Reyes, whatever it was, now you've been violent to women, You, especially in light of what's going on in the world these days, uh, and we should look at you the same way as we do, whether you're a, you know, whatever, you're a ball player. No, you're a human being first. And uh, if he's charged, if he's been, and he has been charged, if he's convicted, that's a whole other story. If he, uh, if the charges are dropped or he pleads not guilty and the case doesn't go to court, um, you know, has he served enough? Very interesting. As a ball player, totally different. He's a good ball player. He's a great ball player. And that might, might make the decision even more difficult for people. Because imagine if your favorite player, your, one of the cornerstone players on your franchise, was charged with something like this. Let's say it was a Toronto Maple Leaf. I won't mention the name of a guy, no point. But let's say it was a, a, the, the Leafs equivalent of Roberto Asuna. <clears throat> what if it was the Raptors equivalent of Roberto Asuna? What would you do? Would you boo the guy? Would you not show up? Would you say, let's give him another chance? What if your wife or significant other, or never mind if it was a female, another guy said, hey, you can't cover this guy. You, you got to step away. If I was a young reporter, uh, it might be a real moral dilemma for me. I want to keep my job, but, and sometimes you got to th- do things that are distasteful. When I worked in news, I had to cover like murders and stuff. I didn't want to. It was distasteful, but it was part of my job. And now someone says, you got to cover Roberto Asuna. You got to cover Reyes and you got to cover Chapman and all these other guys who have been charged with domestic violence. Leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but that's your job. You got to separate the two. Not sure I could do that. Certainly not as a young reporter. Maybe someone my age now, I may be able to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to cover this guy. I'll, I'll, I'll accept the consequences. But I don't want to cover this guy, right? Because I just, I, I, he's a creep. He's a creep. What, what would you have done with, uh, if you were Atkins, and it was your call? Like, what do you just, this 23-year-old who, who used, you did something terrible, terrible crime, chuck him in the garbage he's uh beyond uh be, beyond help not our problem anymore let someone else worry about it or would you you know work with him from within to sort of uh get him some 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 help some psychological help and and help him kind of improve as a man hmm. i would think that uh i think i would take the pulse of my fan base i think i would take the pulse of the fan base and if it seemed to me that keeping him on the roster um, in order to, because he's a member of the team and needs to be rehabbed, I think you'd have to present it in a different way than Ross Atkins presented it, right? There was no reason for him to say, yep, we expect him to be part of the team August the 5th. I think he would have been better off saying, you know, we haven't made a decision on that because the courts haven't made a decision on that, and we'd be remiss if we jumped the gun and jumped the conclusion that he'd be back with the team or he'd be in jail. So let's worry about that when the time comes, and we'll treat it as such. But to come out in June and say, oh, no, we expect him to be part of the team in August, now you're just fueling the now it's fuel to the fire because August 5th is coming and he's going to be playing somewhere. Somebody will come along and say, oh, we'll take him off your hands. Same way they took Josh Hamilton and all the, but alcoholism, breaking and entering, using a gun. Those are different. 
in today's um, day. Very different from domestic violence. So we're going to have to wait and see. And I think, I think the Jays blew it from a PR standpoint there. And I'm wondering if they're going to compound the problem by being not arrogant, but being kind of, you know, look, we know what to do when it comes to baseball. And, and this is it, as opposed to taking the pulse of the fans and saying, do we really want to lose our fan base, especially now that we're losing a million fans this year already? Now we're going to risk losing more fans, alienating more fans, and maybe a good portion of our female, and I'm going to say this again, our female fan base, okay? I know I should be balanced here. I know that men should feel exactly the same way as women when it comes to this, but we, from a visceral standpoint, it's not the same. And women have explained this to me. Uh, my wife has, uh, other women that I know, female columnists in newspapers, bloggers on Twitter, that they find it to be disgusting and they would not respect anyone who would um, put money in the coffers of the Toronto Blue Jays should they bring him back. So we'll see what happens. And where was I here now on this show? This is an exciting, jam-packed show. Get into that a little bit there. Where is it? Oh, yeah, right. So um, Francisco Molinari. Maybe eight people had heard of this guy before he won the, uh, the Open Championship, the British Open. Everyone was there to watch Tiger Woods. And I have to tell you, I was, I was deeply involved in this. And I was torn between wanting Tiger Woods to win and wanting him to get really close and then fail. Do you know what I mean? Part of redemption to me is you've got to fail and then you've got to fail again, right? To get people to feel for you. Oh, this poor guy. He was on top of the world. Then he got caught. Then he, then he suffered the humiliation and embarrassment of having to in public. It's like having your pants pulled down in public. Really what happened to Tiger Woods and the injuries. And it's been 10 years. And then, then to get the ovation that he's gotten coming back to golf is similar to what we were just talking about. How could you cheer Tiger Woods after he cheated on his wife? And all right, you know, that's bad. You're right. Cheating on the wife was bad, but, but beyond that, um, was he a horrible, terrible person? Well, a lot of people thought he was, he was so full of himself and he was so, you know, driven by golf that he didn't have certain human qualities and maybe this will teach him a lesson or so. So to watch him take the lead at the, the, at the Open and people are cheering. And, and of course, the television commentators are like, here's Tiger. Tiger just took a breath in. Tiger just took a breath out. Tiger, like every single move of his, half of me was going, oh, make that putt. And the other half was, no, no, Tiger. I think you need to come close. Maybe even lose in a playoff. This is, this is a major championship. If this would have been the uh, Garfunkel Open, right, or the John Deere Classic, or the Canadian Open, which is this week. By the way, Tiger not attending. And this is where I think he should be. I think instead of waiting around for the majors, like, you know, like Roger Federer does in tennis or Nicholas used to do, I think Tiger's got to win a tournament. Eight, and I don't care what tournament it is, he's got to win. And then once he wins, then the next step is win a major. But for him to say, oh, you know, my next tournament is the PGA Championship and then I'll worry about other ones, no. you got to start playing, you know, the not second-tier tournaments, but the non-majors. And once you win, then maybe people will have some, I don't know, more of a empathy for you. Or, hey, guess what? Tiger's on his way back. So I'm kind of glad that he didn't win and that he came close and might have... Look, he, he blew it. He choked. 
When did anyone ever say that about Tiger Woods ever? He choked. He had the lead. He had the lead. And then he hit a drive into the schmutz, and then he tried to get it out of there, and he hit another bad shot. And, and you can only recover for so long, and there's some pretty good golfers out there. So good on Francisco Molinari, who played with Tiger. And the other thing is, anyone that had ever played with Tiger in the final round of a major usually just got scorched. Like Mike Weir. I mean, just you name guys who played with Tiger. They just would fall under the pressure of Tiger. Even Jordan Spieth yesterday for a while there, even though he wasn't playing with Tiger, he fell apart. He choked. He missed some easy putts. So Tiger, Tiger's um, playing partner, Molinari, solid as a rock, wins the tournament, first Italian to win a major golf tournament. And Tiger, close, but no cigar. What'll happen next time? I wonder, I really wonder, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, that's the Canadian Football League team, have traded quarterback Johnny Menzel and two offensive linemen to Montreal for wide receiver Chris Williams, defensive end Jamal Westerman, and two first-round draft picks in 2020 and 2021. Johnny Football never took a regular season snap with Hamilton. It's hoped that he's going to move the needle in Montreal where they are desperate for victories. Even the other night, when Hamilton was losing to Winnipeg at home, and Hamilton quarterback Jeremiah Masoli could not move the team. I thought, hey, perfect. Johnny, Johnny Manziel, what did you acquire him for? And then when he didn't play, I thought, well, what are these guys doing? And now I know what they're doing. They were sitting him on the bench. They didn't even want to risk putting him in for a play because he might throw an interception or fall or hurt himself. All along, they just wanted to trade him. They were never going to play this guy. They were waiting for the right deal to come along. Maybe it was going to be with the Argos when Ricky Ray went down first game of the season. Oh, now, instead, Montreal, another poor team in the East that needs to draw fans and the CFL needs to survive. So really, Mike, 10,844 fans at the Argo-Winnipeg game on Saturday. Nobody paying attention on this podcast when I had asked, you know, what do you think of the CFL? And we heard the crickets? Sch- scheduling games during the All-Star break. <laughs> Basically, the listeners to this program are saying, we really, we, we don't care. We're not interested. I will say that Saturday, that BMO Field, that was a beautiful day. We should point out that was that was a beautiful, beautiful Saturday afternoon in no the city. No excuse, right? How can you? I mean, listen, if the weather is the factor, and and the team ten thousand eight hundred and forty four is an embarrassment. And I'll tell you what else, mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of searching, and I'm a pretty good researcher, if I do say so for myself. I had to do a lot of searching just to find out what the attendance was. It wasn't on the CFL website. It wasn't part of any box score. I didn't see it in the newspaper. You search Twitter. It's just, uh, right. it's like the best kept secret. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, no wonder. 10,844, I'd be embarrassed too in Toronto. And I bet you half the folks were happy to sort of stumble across it. Like, oh, hey, there's a football game over there. We're in town. Let's go. Embarrassing. It really is, actually, because they always, last year and the year before, they, the excuse was the day of the week, I kept hearing. Well, they don't give us good time slots. I guess TFC had some preferential schedule or something. Please. And then this game, though, which is a, a late July Saturday at 4 p.m. with n- no rain in the forecast. It was a beautiful day, not even too hot. Right. Like, it wasn't even one of those heavy, humid days we've had. Like, really, if you can't get yourself to beautiful BMO Field by the lake, to watch your Argos, then you don't care. And I think it's time to accept the fact that uh, the city does not care. So we will not be talking about the Canadian Football League anymore on this podcast unless you demand it. All right? The listener. Yeah, not you the me listener. personally. No, you the listener demand it. No, you've, look, you're a fan. You're a supporter. You've been to games. You follow it. And, and me as well. But I've about had it. And if only 10,000 are going to show up in Toronto and Johnny Manziel is going to get traded to Montreal in the hopes that he moves the needle, not enough for me. Can I ask you the million-dollar question? Because you know all the answers here. Uh, Why are the TV numbers for TSN so large? Like, there must be CFL fans. There are in the West. They're not here. No, not in the East. 
with the mm. exception of Hamilton, I would say no, and maybe in Ottawa too, as an because there's not much else to do, right? You know, right. that's your local team. But in Montreal, they used to be when they had Anthony Calvillo. Man, they pack, uh, you know, they pack McGill Stadium. Now they're, you know, they're not because whenever Montreal's you- a very fickle sports town as well. Very fickle. You don't win for a while. We got other things to do. Right, right. You know, so if you, that, if you dare suggest to a CFL fan that the Argos are cooked in Toronto, they point to uh, oh, TSN had two point three million tuned in. Are you kidding me? Good this for is TSN. big. So okay, I just wondered how could we ever explain this? Uh, yeah, good for TSN. That's great. And people <laughs> out west again. I mean, what else is there to do in Winnipeg and Regina and some of these other places in the summertime? Um, all right. When Austin Matthews and John Tavares suit up for the Leafs this year, it won't be the first time the team has had two first overall draft picks skating alongside each other. I was reading about some stuff saying, oh, we can, this is going to be fantastic. When has this ever happened? And, you know, it's true. These are two young guys. These aren't guys on the downsides of their career who were, who were former number one overall picks, right? This isn't like we got Brian Lawton when he's in his mid-30s, the, you know, but, but years ago. In fact, you got to go all the way back to 83-84. The Leafs were the most horrible team in the league. They were terrible under Mike Nickluck. And I covered that team. They might have been the worst defensive team I've ever seen. They, they gave up almost five goals a game. But on that team were Billy Harris, the number one pick overall, and Dale McCourt, who was also a number one overall pick. Two of the players, by the way, they were both in their final NHL season. So too was the goaltender, Mike Palmatier who also was backed up by 19-year-old Alan Bester. And that this was a team, listen to this team, all right? So McCourt, final season, number one pick overall. He went to Switzerland, played for years in Switzerland. Billy Harris had injuries, uh, got traded to LA, the LA Kings, the team that had drafted him originally, uh, or no, it was the Islanders, I guess. And um, it was his last year, Paul Matier's last year. But think about this, Alan Bester, 19 years old. Ken Reggett was the third goalie, 19 years of age. Russ Cortnell, 18 years old. Gary Lehman, 19 years of age. Gary Nyland, defenseman, I think third overall pick, not, uh, 20 years old. Jim Benning, the current general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, 20 years old. Rick Vive was your captain. He was 24, but he was really like 19. He was immature. He admitted afterwards he was not ready to be captain at that time. Dan Daou was 23. Miroslav Fritscher, a goofball if ever there was one, 24 <laughs> years old. And you had veterans like Salming and, and Derlego and some guys like that, uh, Dave Farish. But really, this was a young, young team that had no, no inkling uh, how to play defense whatsoever. And they were horrible. But they had two number one wow. overall draft picks on that team. Fast forward now to the 1999-2000 season. And the Leafs had three first overall draft picks on that team. Matt Sundin, of course, the captain, leading scorer, best player on the team. Wendell Clark had come back for, I believe, the third time. Uh, Picked up, I think, from Chicago. No, he had been dropped by Chicago and signed as a free agent by the Leafs. And Brian Berard, who a few months later would take a stick in the face from, I think, Marion Hosa, was it? A follow-through? In Ottawa. And, of course, was never the same. Three. They had three first overall picks on the team. By the way, that was the first Leaf team ever to have 100 points in a season. Ever. 100 points. They beat Ottawa in the first round, you may recall, and they lost to New Jersey in the conference semifinals. I think that's when Ty Domi cross-checked Scott Niedermeyer and got a um, game misconduct suspension, whatever, cost them the game. It didn't cost them the series, but... Was that when uh, Laleem was in net for Ottawa? That Patrick series, Laleem, right? Was it that Neuendijk? Who, yeah, he uh, scored a real soft goal Right, there. and then he was like, this is happening. Yeah, so um, that was that team. Three, they had three first overall picks. Wow. 
So just a little bit of trivia for you there. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the Tragically Hip. So too are you, Mike. Yes, Going indeed. through the archives, I found an interview I had done with bass player Gord Sinclair, who I was very friendly with for a time. Invited to his home. We had a barbecue, went golfing um, in Kingston. And we had many, many conversations off camera and off mic, which I did with a lot of the guys in the hip. Hung out with them, not in an interview form, shooting the breeze. Stuff that's not supposed to be repeated, off the record, if you want to call it that. Um, and occasionally, um, they would, the guys would agree to an interview, quote unquote. But usually it was kind of stiff because it was an interview. It was like, oh, Jesus, the, is, uh, the tape's rolling here, Hepsi? The mic's on? Really? Okay. Um, but in a couple of instances, you know, on the, team, on the tour bus or hanging out or whatever, got some good stories. So here's a conversation I had with tragically a bass player, Gord Sinclair. Okay, I'm with uh, Gord Sinclair. Gord, uh, your first uh, hockey game that you saw live was a special moment. Can you share it with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my first hockey game was obviously the Leafs, being from Kingston. And um, it was actually my first trip to Toronto as well. So that's what makes it kind of special, actually. To this day, I think I probably remember uh, that first trip to Toronto more than I remember the, my last trip to Toronto. Um, my dad uh, took me up and we drove up. And uh, yeah, I remember f seeing that, uh, that Bloor Street viaduct for the first time and stuff. And it was the, the Leafs' California Golden Seals. Um, my dad was particularly pleased because Morris Mott was a Queen's University grad with his white skates on, and so it was a pretty big deal. And my, my uncle had gotten us uh, really great seats, golds, right in the corner. Right, uh, we sat basically underneath where Harold was, uh, you know, hanging out of his little little box there. And somehow um, Scott Young, um, Neil Young's uncle, I believe, who was a uh, was a was writer, it was his dad. Yeah, it was his dad. He was a writer with the uh, with the Star. Anyway, he knew we were there. And my uncle had set up uh, something that, um, you know, in between periods, he came and, and brought me uh, a hockey stick. And it turned out to be Lanny's hockey stick. It was his rookie season and stuff. And I was like the envy of all the kids all around. And um, last year when we were on tour, I got the, got the chance to meet Lanny for the first time out in Calgary. This is, God, must be 20 years after the fact, probably 25 years after the fact. And I recounted the story and uh, and told him I still have the stick at home. It's it's down in the, and down in the basement. Um, I haven't got around to it, but uh, he said if I sent it out to him out in Calgary, he'd sign it up for me and stuff. So yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I you know like like most young boys, it's kind of the father son ritual, you know. And I, I quite honestly, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, got to see a fight out in the street, out in front of the pancake house and stuff, and I was holding my dad's hand the whole time. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> Was Lanny your favorite player before you uh, uh, were at that game? Who did you idolize when you were a real young guy? Uh, well, pretty much, I idolized my dad after that trip. Actually, that was that was pretty the big deal. You know, I mean, it was we knew I knew hockey from uh, you know hockey night in Canada and stuff like that. I think I was probably playing at the time, but I couldn't have been more than seven or eight years old. I think, but uh, yeah, no. After that, I thought the old man was pretty much the coolest, and Lanny too. Why is it do you think that uh, musicians and athletes have? Um kind of a parallel way of thinking that I mean they both play in front of large crowds generally speaking but they both admire or there's a mutual admiration society between athletes and musicians that's uh that's more than just coincidental don't you think yeah um I'm sure it's got to do be something to the fact that you're on the road all the time I mean I know uh, I know from talking to a lot of the hockey guys, I mean, the guys, you know, pack up their CDs and, and listen on the plane trips and in the hotels. And, and we do very much the same thing, you know, when, we, when we're when we sitting on the bus for hours and hours on end, you know, it's sort of 
sport central really we try to pick up as many games and it's actually kind of cool when, whenever we have a night off you know if, if there's a game in town we'll try to try to get tickets and, and follow it pretty closely and yeah I guess I, I'm sure that has something to do with it when you're away from your from your loved ones and your family and stuff there's no better way to occupy your time with music and sports <laughs> has there ever been a show that you've done where you've known that someone was in the audience and you were I don't want to say intimidated but you were aware that there was a very special person there and m might have made you a little nervous I, I don't know necessarily about nervous I know we uh, the last around last Easter we were playing a pretty small club in, in Philly called the TLA and I know we had uh, the majority of the flyers out at the show and you could see them from where we were on the stage. You could see these giant men up on the, uh, you know, up on the, uh, the the balcony of the place, drinking Corona after Corona and stuff. So it, may, it definitely makes you really aware. We we got to know a couple of those guys, and they're you know they're big fans of the band, and, and you just uh, you never know what they're going to do on a night off. That's that's what makes you more nervous than anything else, I think. <laughs> so that's uh, so that's Gord Sinclair. That's from the early two thousand. I don't have a date on that one in particular because I done. I did a number of interviews like that, like a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, wanting to get the, you know, do you remember your first game? Do you remember? But, but Gord had also told me at another time, he said he knew the Tragically Hip had made it when one night they were out driving and they heard their song on the radio. I think it was Highway Girl. And they all went, wow, we're on the radio. Like they, that, that's when they knew something they had strived for their whole lives. They wanted to, they wanted to have a song that was on the radio. And they got that. The other part of it was, and you, he mentions in that, he says, you know, we pack up the CDs and go on the bus. So that's in the early, that's before, obviously, downloading and, and that type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you pack up your CDs, you'd have your favorite CDs, and, you know, you go on your bus trip. The other one was, and when I'd asked him about that, uh, had he ever been intimidated or whatever, it's because I saw them in California at the House of Blues in Los Angeles um, during the Day for Night tour, I think it was. And I remember Johnny Faye, the drummer, saying to me, Guess who's in the audience tonight? Neil Pert from Rush. And he was nervous. Like his palms were sweating. Neil Pert's going to be out there watching. And as it happened, we're sitting in a VIP area. There's Neil Pert. There's the guys from Kids in the Hall, right? So that's Dave Foley, Kevin McDonald, Scott Thompson. Uh, Mark McKinney. Uh, uh, Mark McKinney. Who am I missing? Bruce, Bruce McCullough. Bruce McCullough, right. So they're all there as well. Like, you know, all the expats, anyone who was from Canada right. happened to be at, at every hip show anyway. So, yeah, he was nervous. Like, he was really nervous about that. And I thought, you know, yeah, if you know someone's in the crowd, you know, that's, that's someone's really important, you know, would that affect your performance at all? So that was a couple of interesting tips. Anyway, as time goes on, on this podcast, at the end, I'm going to have little tidbits, little chats that I had with various people that I, when I did them, they were interesting. And then I kind of socked them away somewhere in the archives and... Listening to them again years later, going, that's ah, good stuff. I have to put that on the podcast. And that's timeless, that uh, Gord chat there. I mean, yeah. That's timeless. That's, and I loved hearing that because I have similar memories, you know, fights breaking out by the Golden Griddle in, uh, <laughs> in college or The Carleton Pancake State. House. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> the California Golden Seals with their white skates. Oh, <laughs> right. memories and memories. All right. That's it for this edition of Hebsey on Sports. We're brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Wonderful people, spectacular golf, reasonable prices. What are you waiting for? Book your tee time now at crosswindsgolf.com and we'll see you on the course. Hebsey on Sports is produced by Toronto Mike. We'd love to hear your comments. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My handle is Hebsey Man, H-E-B-S-Y-M-A-N. 
Mike's handle is Toronto Mike at torontomike.com. Great talking sports with you. Thanks for allowing us into your headspace. So long for now.